all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Good morning. This is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Pediatrics and Internal Medicine at UMMC and Program Director of the MedPeds Residency Program. You know, asthma is one of the most common chronic health problems affecting children, and we have more than our fair share in the state of Mississippi and in the South in general. Sometimes the symptoms can be hard to spot, and a delay in treatment can have serious consequences. Well, today we'll be tackling this issue with the help of our special guest, Dr. Jonathan Smith. And as usual, we'll be taking your questions or comments. So we would love for you to call in if you have a child with asthma or maybe somebody in your family or multiple people, as we'll find out it sometimes runs in families. If they're dealing with asthma and you'd like a little advice on what to do in certain situations, you can give us a call this morning at one eight seven seven mpb ring that's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, or you can email us at kidsandteens at mpbonline dot org. Well, fall is here. We would love some rain, uh, but it certainly the temperatures have dropped a little bit. I, I've gotten so used to ninety degree weather, though it seems like uh, eighty degrees feels cold in comparison. So I'm be glad when it maybe drops a little bit more than that. Uh, keep uh, keep thinking I'm going to put those short sleeves uh, up. Uh, Shirts up, but I hadn't quite gotten there. So this morning, our special guest is Dr. Jonathan Smith, who is a resident, a MedPeds resident at University of Mississippi Medical Center. Good morning, Jonathan. Good morning, Dr. Stewart. Thank you for having me on the show. Sure, that's great. Tell us a little bit about um, where you're from and uh, sort of where you uh, where where you got to to Mississippi from. So I grew up in Georgia for the most part, and um, Southern boy at heart for sure, and uh, enjoyed. Um, spending time there. Um, and the, um, I went to undergrad at Georgia Southwestern state university in America's Georgia, and then went on to medical school at Mercer university in Macon, Georgia, and was very interested in taking care of both adults and children as part of my career. Um, but they don't offer that program combined in Georgia. You can do them separately, but not together. So I went on a search and, um, it landed me here in Jackson, Mississippi as a, a resident uh, here at UMMC, and uh, I have uh, enjoyed every bit of it. I'm currently in my fourth year um, and uh, and love and life. And, and, he's, and by love and life, he means he's enjoying family life at home. So tell us uh, tell us what's going on at home right now. That's right. We are. Uh, we are getting used to having a uh, new life at our house. So we have uh, I have a brand new daughter uh, named Layton. She's four weeks now and um, sleep is at a premium. Um, and uh, <laughs> we are uh, we are very blessed and very happy to have her in our lives now, though. You know, as a pediatrician, it's uh, I've said this before on the program. I think you can you can really understand things by reading it from a book, by seeing it in other people or other patients. But until you have your own child, it sort of focuses things a little bit more. You're like, ah, okay, 
Uh, I'm seeing this on a day-to-day basis, normal development, maybe some, you know, maybe some aberrations from that from time to time. But um, I think it makes you a better pediatrician after you have kids. I think we would all all agree that. I can definitely agree with that. I think that there have been a couple of light bulb moments a couple times and uh, also a couple times where I feel like I put my foot in my mouth about what I've told people. <laughs> but um, makes you rethink that. It does. But I think that it's uh, it's a wonderful experience and uh, really enjoying it. My, you know, I, I, I thought with my first child, uh, he was probably about four months old and was really healthy, didn't have any problems. He slept uh, really well at night, didn't like to broadcast that because people would look at me with a glare in their eye, you know, and be jealous about that. But uh, my wife called me one time and said, hey, I think he's got an ear infection. And I said, well, does he have a fever? And she said, no, he's just sort of pulling his ear, but I really think he's got an infection. And I thought, well, I'm the physician. I should know, you know, that I totally blew it off for a couple of days. I said, well, let's just sort of watch it for a couple of days. And uh, sure enough, he had a perforation in his eardrum and uh, all that nasty, gooey pus came out of the ear canal. And I thought, oh, okay, now I guess we'll treat it, huh? (laughs) So I had to apologize to my wife about that. And uh, uh, he's fine, hasn't had any problems since then. But it does, there are some dangers i think sometimes of being that pediatrician as a father we tend to blow off things from time to time that is true um taking advice from another uh um doctor who's wiser than me of course i've repeated this to my wife a couple of times whenever she has little questions here and there is (laughs) call your doctor that's right that's always always good advice that's right always good advice so we're talking about asthma this morning and uh got plenty of time for your questions about asthma. Asthma is something that affects uh particularly Mississippi pretty pretty uh heavily and uh we see it from day to day Dr. Smith and I do in in clinic and in the hospital unfortunately uh all all too much and it does affect a lot of children. A lot of misconceptions about what asthma is about how you treat it, and then uh, what to expect long-term. We're going to be uh, diving into those issues this morning as we talk about it. Um, but why don't we start off with sort of a definition of, of asthma. What is asthma? So asthma is a chronic inflammatory condition of the lungs, and it results in episodic airflow obstruction. And we're going to talk about what exactly that means. Um, and we think that that has a lot to do with airway hyperreactivity, um, and there's a couple of reasons out so, there so for, that, for why that, that happens. So for hyperreactivity, so, it's like really touchy feely airways, right? Like you, you just something that bothers them, they go nuts and go into spasm. Right, and then you and then you have to do something to get it back under control, and and that's what we're going to focus on today during the later portion of the show is talking about how do we get those symptoms under control so that you can go about your daily living. You know, if you look at some data um, from on asthma in the state of Mississippi, and, and again, this can, you know, there's a certainly throughout the southeast, there's there's similar instance of uh, prevalence of asthma. Um, you know, there's a lot of kids and adults that are affected by asthma. Um, and about, well, this was from 2011. So it was estimated about 100, almost 170,000 adults in the state of Mississippi and 66,000 children had asthma uh, in 2011. So that's a lot of people, if you think about it, that have been affected by it. Now, this could be both people who have severe asthma or they have intermittent asthma that may cause some problems for a time and not cause any problems after that. Uh, but that's a lot of that's a lot of kids and adults with asthma. Uh, and it can cause a lot of problems. If you look at, you know, how many of those that have asthma 
there were, in 2011, 1,800 hospital stays, admissions to the hospital for asthma, and 14,000 uh, visits to the ER for asthma in Mississippi. That's that's a lot of uh, a lot of people. We do tend to see a lot of asthma and and there are of course seasons that uh it tends to flare worse in um but even on a year just on a year round basis there are all sorts of folks out there that are affected. Um and when you look across the nation even um we've noticed that there tend to be um different uh, rates of severity in Mississippi than there are nationwide. So typically in the nation, there are studies that have been done from the CDC, and they actually keep track of this um, to see exactly how severe asthma is in different places. And so on a national basis, approximately 60% of kids that have asthma have what we call persistent asthma. And that means that you're going to end up having symptoms that need to be controlled with a long-term medicine, which we'll talk about in a little while too. Um, And then about 40% of those have intermittent asthma. Now that's on a nationwide basis. In Mississippi, it's about 75% with persistent symptoms and 25% with intermittent symptoms. So from our standpoint as doctors, we know that we're going to see these patients in our clinics on a pretty regular basis, and we have to try to tackle this problem to prevent uh, loss of days in school and also significant morbidity amongst our patients. Yeah, so we have, and we know we have sicker patients here. So it's, uh, and you know, you mentioned, uh, you know, the airway obstruction. So a lot of parents would say, well, how do I recognize that? Because certainly coughing, uh, sneezing, allergy type symptoms are common in, in individuals and kids that even don't have asthma. So how, what are some of the presenting symptoms that kids might, might have that might make you think that they have asthma? Well, those are definitely certainly on the table. Um, but I think that it's important to know also that, um, and we discuss this with our medical students on a regular basis, is that everything that wheezes is not asthma. Right, right. So um, what you were talking about, about coughing, is definitely one of the, um, one of the presenting symptoms that we see very commonly. And, and that's because the body is trying to force air out. You have something that has tickled the airway to create that hyper-responsiveness. And what the airway does is it tries to clamp down in, re- in response to that. And when it does, the air has trouble getting out. And so the body's response to that is to try to force it out. And the force that you see or that parents will see is the coughing. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that you can see a lot of times, too, with the coughing is that it tends to occur more at nighttime. Um, and um, a lot of times children will wake up in the middle of the night essentially having uh, a coughing attack, and, and sometimes it's difficult to tell the difference between whether that's asthma or a couple of the other things that are out there. So we kind of have to put the symptoms together um, and kind of put the pieces of the puzzle together. Um, some of the other things that you may see that um, are, I guess, more subtle are, are your kids able to keep up with kids about their same um, age and same skill level um, when they're doing certain physical activities. So if, if you notice that all of a sudden, you know, your child is playing soccer, for instance, and, you know, for a couple of years has been doing very well and keeping up. And all of a sudden you notice that they're the first one with their hands on their hips because they're tired, you know, five or 10 minutes into the match. That's probably something you should get looked at. And, you know, depending on the age too of the child, the symptoms can, you know, how they present with it, they may not say, you know, hey, I, I think I'm having wheezing or difficulty breathing. Sometimes they'll say my chest hurts or it's tight or it's hard to breathe. 
and sometimes they may not notice that at all. You might notice, you know, like uh, Dr. Smith said, maybe they're lagging behind at the playground or uh, in doing, uh, you know, daily activities and you need to, you know, really, really watch for some of those things. So it can be tricky. And uh, as you mentioned, not everything that wheezes is asthma. There's certainly transient uh, intermittent episodes. Maybe somebody has certain viral infections, particularly this time of year. Uh, there's there's certain viruses that are more uh, notorious for causing wheezing, like respiratory syncytial virus or RSV that you might have heard of. But uh, but over time, we have to sort of see, okay, is this wheezing something that uh, is going to turn out to be asthma? So uh, it's it's a tricky a little bit uh, to to tease that out, particularly in younger individuals. We're talking about asthma this morning with Dr. Jonathan Smith, and I would love to hear from you. We're going to go to our first caller, though, is Sherry in Olive Branch. Good morning, Sherry. Good morning, Sherry. Thank you for calling. Good morning. Um, my son, who is now an adult, 35, had uh, a really, really bad case of eczema when he was uh, an infant, and after that, didn't really have a bad reoccurrence, but he did em- end up having some asthma and bronchial issues as an older child. And now he has a son who is six years old and has a, a kind of ongoing eczema is what I call it. He has patches. And he also has breathing issues. What is the – I've read or saw something that said that they are – related somehow and can you elaborate on that sure sherry i'm so glad you brought that up that's actually something we were going to talk about um later in the show but we'll go ahead and get to it now so it's it's really interesting if you dig down to a cell level we'll start there and i know that we're going to keep this um you know as uh as as easy as we can but the the way that the body handles inflammation is similar. And when you tend to see the types of processes that are inflammatory, for instance, in asthma, we know it's a condition of the, of the airways that get inflamed. A lot of times there tend to be other parts of the body that are getting affected by that same type of process. And we know that eczema is an inflammatory process and in, of the skin. And sometimes it's easier to see those things because they're right there in front of you. So you can see those, those rashes that resemble eczema and then, and you can see that that is um, something right in front of you, but sometimes you might not be able to link the two together, but they're very much linked together. Um, We do know that eczema is actually a risk factor for those uh, children that are out there that are going to probably end up developing asthma. Um, And so the the body has a way of handling inflammation, and sometimes it helps us, and sometimes it causes disease. Yeah, and Sherry, there's there's a collection of of diseases called the atopic diseases. So asthma is one of them. So it's allergic problems like allergic rhinitis. That's just an allergy that affects the nose. Have sort of what we call coryza, sort of a um, the sneezing and stuffy nose that goes along with seasonal allergies or perennial aller- allergies. There's eczema, which affects the skin, and then there's um, there's asthma. So these are, are three of the most common uh, manifestations of that. And sometimes those allergies will actually trigger an asthma attack. And they, there is a lot of overlap, as Dr. Smith said, about, you know, about that. So uh, you know, that's, that is, that is common to see that. And if you have a flare in one, you know, like, like Dr. Smith said, eczema is pretty easy cause you can see it or feel it on the skin. And asthma is a little bit 
harder to, to tease that out because it's in the lung. So they are related. Um, the treatment sometimes uh, for asthma involves controlling some of the allergic type triggers, particularly if you have, you know, if you have, uh, say, the, uh, the nasal symptoms or the cough beforehand. Mm-hmm. If, if you don't control those, sometimes the asthma will, uh, will get out of control. Um, so it is a little bit different for eczema, for the treatment of that, because it's more topical on the skin is sort of the mainstay. And there are some things that can, you know, trigger an eczema attack, like if the skin gets too dry, uh, you know, certain times of the year. We use uh, what we call emollients, and that's just stuff that you lather on the skin that keeps it from getting dried out. Uh, sometimes we'll use antihistamines, which... Uh, control some of the allergic response. Those are usually medications that are by mouth that you take either as a liquid or uh, a pill form uh, to help with uh, with some of the allergic response. But there is a lot of overlap with that, and uh, that's not uncommon, you know, to have that both uh, in what you described in your son and grandson. Well, does if, if does everybody that have eczema usually have asthma too, or or is it just? Sometimes. Just sometimes. So okay. that's that's not a truism for everybody. Some people will just have asthma and not have any allergic symptoms. Um, and some people will have eczema and not have asthma. So it's it's just whatever's particular to that one person. And it's just, again, it's, you know, our immune systems are there to take care of us. They're there to protect us from external things, from infections that we could get uh, exposed to. But sometimes a person's immune system starts to view things like pollen, things like, you know, what they come in contact with, food allergens or another trigger, and uh, and that can sort of spill over to the point where they have these allergic-type symptoms that are manifested in, in eczema of the skin or asthma. So it's just particular to that one person. And, you know, a good physician is going to sit down with their, with their patient, and if they do have asthma, they're going to talk about those other things, those other atopic or allergic diseases uh, to see if they need to be uh, focusing on them and treating them too. Okay. Well, let me get. Did I hear you right? If if you control the eczema better, does that help you control the asthma? Not necessarily. Okay. Uh, but yeah, you, and they're really a little bit different now. If it were allergic rhinitis or you know, sort of just allergy symptoms, that may be the case uh, because those are tied together. Really, you can think of the lungs being connected all the way up to the nose, one big system. So if they're having allergic symptoms in the nose, in the nasal passages, if you don't control that and they do have asthma, that's that's going to be important to control. Eczema, not so much. It's in that general you know, that general class of atopic diseases, but uh, it's not necessarily, if you treat the eczema, it's probably you know, not going to affect the asthma. Thank you, Sherry, for calling. We're going to take our first break, and when we come back, we're going to... See, I talked to Linda from Port Gibson uh, with a question, but we would love to hear from you this morning. So give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 7464 Or you can email us at kidsandteens at mpbonline.org. We'll be right back after this break.
This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. I'm Dr. Jimmy here with Dr. Jonathan Smith, and we're talking about asthma this morning. Everything that wheezes is not gold or asthma. So uh, good questions already this morning. We're going to go to Linda from Port Gibson, who has a question about asthma. Good morning, Linda. Good morning. Thank you for calling. Yes, I'm going to try to ask this question as intelligent as possible. Um, Does, uh, uh, well, does Chihuahuas... Uh, help keep down instances of asthma. I've heard that in yeah, having so, a chihuahua. So, so really, is it more of uh, what are the things that are going to trigger asthma? I think that's that's sort of what you're getting to. And are some dogs better at uh, not triggering asthma? Is that is that right. fair? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good question. And certainly, hey, we love our animals. People love their pets. And when you think about pets that you already have or pets uh, that, uh, you know, that you're trying to get for your family, sometimes you want to be careful about that if you have people in your family with asthma. Now, certain dog breeds are sort of touted as being, you know, asthma safe or less likely to cause wheezing. Uh, but it's not necessarily the case. And really, a lot of that has to do with the individual person. So there are some dog breeds that are less likely to do that, uh, but you also have to keep in mind if they're not allergic to dog hair, they might be allergic to something that's on the dog. So, you know, particularly if it's an outside dog going outside and then coming in or, you know, that's going to bring in a lot of allergens from the outside like pollen, mold. Uh, so that, that can play into it, too, if that dog's going in and out. But it's it's hard to tease that out, and you know that the worst thing that you want to do is get a dog, and then they have you know they have uh, some uh, allergies to that dog or an asthma attack to that dog. Um, I would talk to their physician and see if they have been tested for. Do you know if 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 the person who has asthma if they've been tested for? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, for allergens, that's important. Sometimes you can you can tease out what the triggers are for that particular. Uh, you know, uh, patient. And sometimes you'll notice that they're allergic to certain foods that might trigger an allergic response or asthma. Um, They don't really, you know, they have, sometimes they'll have dog dander in there, but that's not one that's usually on the list. It's more of just sort of a trial and error. Here's here's what I would do. Uh, I would find somebody who has uh, a chihuahua, okay? And uh, yeah. and I would do a little test run here. Make sure you bring all your asthma equipment, like your inhalers that we'll talk about later. Uh, mm-hmm. But I would uh, I would let that person, you know, the patient, sort of play around with the chihuahua and see what happens. And if they have, if you if you perceive that they're having, you know, some increase in allergy symptoms, then that's probably not the best choice. If not, then you might want to take a stab at it. But it's real hard to predict that. Um, but you know, you talk to your physician first. Uh, Allergen avoidance, which that means whatever is triggering the asthma response, uh, if you can avoid that, that's probably the best way to avoid having an allergy, you know, an, an exacerbation of asthma. Um, 
you can't necessarily just treat if you know that there you know a, a dog's causing the problem and you try to treat around that because you don't want to get rid of the dog not too successful with that just because they're being exposed to it but i'd give it a trial run linda and see if uh, maybe you can find somebody that maybe there's a breeder of of chihuahuas and uh, maybe try a couple of different dog breeds and see what you come up with thank you you're welcome. Thank you for your call. Yeah, that's a that's a tough one. You know, in, in clinic, a lot of times we'll have, you know, patients and they've had a dog for a long time. Maybe they have a new baby and they've had that dog for 15 years and they're, uh, you know, all of a sudden they have uh, wheezing or asthma symptoms uh, in that person. And it can be difficult. And, uh, you know, you have to talk to them, too. We mentioned wheezing. Not everything that, that wheezes is asthma. Uh, or what people perceive sometimes as, as wheezing or rattling in the chest. You know, you don't need to just get rid of a dog just if you have that, right? Right. I, th- I think that, um, like you said, it's very difficult to predict who's going to react to what, whether it's a dog or whether it's pollen or or whether it's any of the allergens that are out there. Um, and trying to identify that can be very hard because we're exposed to so many things during the day. Um, and we tend to... Um, live in a state that has lots of allergens compared to other places is what it feels like. Um, when you look across, um, the country at that as well, there's, um, higher prevalence of, um, as far as people that are involved with having allergies and asthma than there are in other places. And so trying to kind of weed through that and figure out exactly what we need to avoid can be difficult. Um, but kind of getting back to the, to the wheezing real quick. So just to kind of dispel a, a myth out there, you know, a lot of times people will hear any kind of um, respiratory sound. So like a breathing sound that they hear from their child and they'll call that wheezing. And we kind of want to talk about that just for a second to kind of let people know exactly what wheezing is. And um, the best way that I know how to describe it is, you know, I love to go to the fair. And at the fair, they sell these uh, these lemonade drinks that have these big old straws in them. And as a kid, if, if you take those straws and you kind of whip them around real quick, you can make like a whistling noise. And that's essentially what wheezing is, is it's air that's moving through a tube uh, that has some sort of obstruction. And, and the obstruction that we're talking about today is asthma, but it could be anything. So and the reason I bring that up is while the respiratory system is all connected, it does matter how we treat it depending, you know, based on where the symptoms and where the disease process is happening. So for instance, if you're having symptoms down in your lungs, then we want to do treatments that are inhaled that make it all the way down there. Or if we're doing treatments for, for instance, nasal congestion can sound like wheezing because you have something that's obstructing the nasal passage. And as you move the air through, you start to hear that kind of whistling noise that everybody hears as as wheezing. And so that's that's where that's coming from. And it's not necessarily asthma if it's up top in the nasal passages. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and a lot of things can masquerade as that, too, as you mentioned. So um, you can get I've seen, you know, there's been patients that have that have carried a diagnosis of asthma for weeks sometimes. And then you find out that they had a foreign body that they've inhaled into the larger passages in the lungs. Uh, when we look for it, we find, you know, there's a toy or a Lego that got uh, inhaled in there. And if you go back, you know, sometimes we'll, we'll get really detailed with how it all started, uh, the symptoms started. And you may, sometimes you can find that maybe there was a coughing episode first that's, uh, that's when they started. And it's not necessarily how, how you know, uh, an asthma or wheezing in general would uh, would present. And uh, the other thing to that, too, is it's very hard to, we'll talk about diagnosis in just a minute, but uh, it's very hard to diagnose 
a child uh, under the age of about three or four with asthma, with the, the techniques that we have. So sometimes we go on symptoms. And, you know, if we do think that it's just as Dr. Smith said, if it's wheezing down deep in the lungs, most of the time the treatment is about the same um, uh, that we would treat somebody for known asthma. So we use some of the same medications to do that. Well, let's talk, let's talk a little bit about the irritants or the things that could really cause. What are the triggers? We talked a little bit about allergies, you know, allergens in the air. What are some of the other most common triggers for an asthma attack? So some of the things that um, are going to be coming up soon, especially uh, as we move into the winter season, is uh, viral infections mm-hmm. and or bacterial infections for that matter. But um, viral infections tend to be more common. And a lot of times the as the virus is being, as the body is trying to fight the virus, it creates an inflammatory response. And so you get a very similar uh, picture as to if you had had, if you had been exposed to an allergen or, or some other type of irritant. Um, And sticking with that for a second, you know, the, there's a lot of children out there that are going to wheeze in the midst of a viral illness that don't have asthma. Right. Right. Um, and so it's hard to kind of pick those out sometimes because if you have a, a severe um, episode of a viral illness, sometimes it can mimic asthma. Yeah, and it's uh, it's again, it's uh, sort of hard to to tease that out if they've had a viral viral other viral symptoms like a fever, uh, runny nose. With that, then that would be more likely. Um, you know, and, and just because somebody's wheezing because of that doesn't necessarily mean that they have asthma. Um, you know, irritants are a big cause in, in, if you have a patient with asthma, those airways are very, very sensitive to different things. Uh, so, uh, you know, I've, I've had some patients that their families, um, you know, somebody worked, uh, at a construction site that had a lot of dust or had a lot of really fine dust. Um, uh, there was one worker that worked at a concrete factory and basically they uh, or bricklayer is another one that comes to mind and you have all those really small fine particulate particles and they can get on your clothes you bring them home even if the child is not exposed directly to that they get exposed to it on the clothes of the parent uh, and that can be that can be a big trigger and you know you have to be a bit of a detective to figure that out and to you know to ask the right questions but sometimes changing the pattern of how that parent you know takes care of the clothing, maybe, you know, takes it off outside uh, before they come into the house. Um, and, and, you know, there's lots of different ways to deal with that. But one of the most common things that we definitely wanted to touch on today is, is smoking in, uh, in a parent or somebody else in the home. It's a standard question that, that we always ask about that's a, a common trigger of asthma. Certainly if, if the child, if there's an older child that's smoking, that's a big uh, that's a big trigger for asthma attacks. But what about uh, smoking in a parent? You know, we'll usually ask that question, and uh, the parent will say, well, you know, Uncle Joe's living with us, but he smokes outside. Is that okay? Well, I think I think that you've hit on a lot of the points with the environmental exposures as far as uh, occupations, but the it's a very similar process that happens as far as cigarette smoke as well. And I, I suppose the best way that I can explain it is that you know, when you smell something, when your body is smelling something, it's because whatever you're smelling is a chemical that's in the air. So if the chemical is making it into your nose when you're taking a deep breath where you can smell it and it can tell your brain, hey, that's an orange or hey, that's an apple or a banana or whatever you're smelling, that chemical is still making it into your lungs. 
And so when people are smoking outside and coming back inside, while there's not necessarily smoke in the air, there is still smoke on the clothes. And a lot of times you can smell the smoke on the clothes. And again, if you can smell the chemical, the chemical is making it in your lungs. So and and it's so whenever we have people that come in the office, you know, that have parents or grandparents that are smoking, we want to hit it from two different angles. Um, one, of course, we want to help the patient, you know, the child or the teenager that that's, you know, that has asthma or a similar respiratory problem, um, because we know that smoke is an irritant and many of the chemicals in smoke are going to cause or lead towards um, asthma attacks or difficulty breathing. We want to help that person, but we also want to help the person that is smoking to stop smoking for themselves. Absolutely. Um, And there's good ways to stop smoking now. I mean, it's, you know, you talk about, you know, 30 years ago, we didn't really have a lot of things that we could use to to help people quit smoking. And there's some... uh, there's some great resources that are free. Uh, you know, there's a lot of expense with some of those. Good medications that can um, that can uh, cut down on the urge uh, to quit smoking. There's a, a in Mississippi. There's a, a ACT Center, A C T Center for Tobacco Treatment Education and Research, and uh, they're located at the uh, Medical Mall. And there's other places throughout the state that you can call. And uh, I guarantee you, if you'll call any physician that's around, any physician's office, and say, "Hey, I want to quit smoking." For myself or for the health of my family, they're going to hook you up with some people or be able to provide you some resources to do that. And, and hey, it's a lot of expense that you can uh, save on. I mean, you're talking four or five bucks a pack, I'm told now. So that's a lot of money that you could potentially save. We're talking about asthma this morning, and I'm here with Dr. Jonathan Smith. Plenty of time for your questions that you might have about someone who's affected by asthma in your family, you can give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 Or you can email us at kidsandteens at mpbonline.org. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to continue our discussion about how do you diagnose asthma and what do you do to treat it. We'll be right back after this. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. I'm Dr. Jimmy here with Dr. Jonathan Smith, and we're talking about asthma a lot of good questions from you. Still plenty of time for any kind of questions that you might have this morning. So when we talk about uh, diagnosing asthma, we talked about, you know, you have to have symptoms of airway obstruction. Uh, you know, a lot of times I'll think about it is that airway is like a musical instrument uh, that when you narrow that airway, it can produce those extra sounds. So that's one of the ways that we uh, tease out the diagnosis and talking to families about, okay, wh- how did this start? When did it start with the wheezing? Is this the first time that they've presented? Did they have multiple episodes of this? Is there a family history of asthma? Because we know that um, that, that it does run in, in families uh, sometimes. And then we do a physical exam that we would uh, focus
focus in on the lungs and the upper airway passages as well, like in the nose, and sometimes take a look at those. And, uh, you know, based on what we hear, even if you don't hear wheezing at that time, that doesn't exclude asthma. That just means they're not wheezing right then and there. Um, And then there's some other things for testing that we usually do, depending on the the age of the child. Uh, A peak flow meter is something you can do in any doctor's office, really, that's uh, a portable device that a child or an adult would blow into. And you measure how much airflow there is coming out of the lungs and into the lungs with that device. And you can get a rough estimate if they have airway obstruction, if it's difficult for them to blow out the appropriate amount of air or if there's a delay in that airflow coming out of the lungs. And if that's the case, sometimes we'll, you know, if they're older, if they're usually around age four or so uh, or older, then we'll refer them uh, for formal pulmonary function test, which uh, is a little bit more specific on measuring that airway flow. And then there's a chemical that you can give them, too, that sort of stimulates that spasm or that hyperreactivity in the airway called metacholine. uh, And then you can measure those airway uh, uh, obstruction, that that decrease in flow coming out. So lots of different ways that you can test for that. And, uh, And again, it has to be specific. Sometimes if they're less than four, we usually just go on symptoms and physical exam. And over time, we may change our therapy uh, because of that. A lot of people, families sometimes don't understand, you know, the limitations if you're less than four. So uh, they'll they'll say, hey, why, why are we thinking it might be asthma or it might not be asthma? So it can sort of go back and forth over time. Let's go to Tim in Sunflower County. Good morning, Tim. Hey, good morning, doctors. Uh, let me just tell you a little brief example uh, of course, I'm not uh, an infant or a teen, but uh, an adult. And actually, my mother had asthma. And, 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 but later in life, I was given a beta blocker. Uh, and if I'm not mistaken, it was Enderol. I may be wrong on the medicine, but it actually induced my asthma. I didn't have any breathing problems until I started that medication. And I actually saw another doctor a pulmonary specialist, and he said, I'll tell you what, if you'll stop that particular medicine, your breathing will improve 50%. And I did, and it did improve. Uh, It did improve some, but actually I am on Simbacort. I'm pretty well staying with Simbacort. I've tried some other uh, bronchodilators, but actually – uh, the corticosteroid is really something that I'm going to have to be on, looks like, for the rest of my life is Simbacort. But, uh, you know, some of the side effects are cataracts, which I've gone through. You have some eye problems. Uh, constantly want to eat. <laughs> that just kind of goes along with it. But I, I just want to bring your attention to beta blockers, uh, which can really induce a patient with already the gene for asthma. Yeah, thanks, Tim. That, that bring, does bring up, uh, you know, some of the things that can affect it. Medications, some of them can stimulate that bronchospasm. And you mentioned uh, the beta blockers as a whole. Uh, now, within that group of medications, there's what's called selective and non-selective beta blockers. And some of the earlier non-selective beta blockers, like Enderol, Enderol's been out. It's good medication for treating a number of things, including high blood pressure. Uh, but mm-hmm. it, it can irritate those airways like you said some of the later beta blockers you know there's there's maybe some situations where a physician might say i really would like i think that a beta blocker might be something that you would need 
if your asthma is controlled, um, you know, it, some of the, the selective beta blockers are better in not causing those, that hyperreactivity like that. So just because, you know, one like Enderol cause that doesn't necessarily mean another in that, in that are, that are yeah, uh, right. non-selective. Okay. Well, uh, doctor, you know, I've kind of just put down, uh, you know, whenever I'm asked, am I allergic to anything? I, I I do include a beta blocker. Sure, sure. You know, I don't. I'm not allergic to any other medication, but I right. do include yeah, and, a beta blocker. Yeah, and Tim, in, the, in that case, you know, in your case, that's you know, you can potentially uh, an asthma exacerbation can be fatal uh, if it's not uh, caught early or treated. So I think that's pretty smart on your part to to list that out as an allergy. And there's other alternatives most of the time, particularly if it's for something like hypertension. And yeah, you, right. You okay. did. Okay, great. Okay, thank you, Doctor. Sure, sure. Thanks for calling, Tim. And, you know, you did mention Simbacort, uh, an inhaled uh, corticosteroid. And w- what we know now about the nature of asthma, inhaled steroids are really the mainstay of treatment, right? Yeah, so we've been talking uh, for a long time about all the inflammation and all the uh, triggers that uh, cause problems for people with asthma, but we haven't really touched on the treatment. So let's kind of go there for a second. You know, Simbacort, just to let everybody know, is actually a mixture of two medicines. One is actually called a long-acting beta agonist, which we'll talk about in a few minutes. Um, the other one is the inhaled corticosteroid that uh, is, seems to be the mainstay of treatment for asthma and helps so many people out there. Um, and what it does is it calms the airways down on a regular basis so that when it, it when the lungs are exposed to something uh, that would potentially cause an asthma attack, they're not going to be as likely to make that happen. So uh, it's very important um, that uh, people that are on those steroids are taking them on a daily basis, even when they feel good, when they feel bad. If it's raining, if it's sunny outside, it doesn't matter. You should be taking that medicine every day. And one of the misconceptions out there about those medicines is, well, doc, I feel great. So I, did, I just stopped taking my inhaled steroid and now I've started to have problems. Well, the reason you felt great is because you were taking it, not because you don't need it anymore. Right. Yeah, and it's, it's, it is a little bit difficult because some of the uh, medications we give, some of the inhalers uh, are for those uh, acute symptoms when you are actively wheezing. So albuterol is one, Zopinex is another one. So uh, those two are rescue medications. In other words, you're taking those while you're actively wheezing. Uh, there are some other long-term medications that you give uh, to help prevent it, like the inhaled steroids. And then there's some oral medications that might help with asthma, but also help with allergic symptoms too. So, for instance, if patients have uh, you know, allergic rhinitis and they have maybe some cough at night, uh, Singulair or Monoluclast is, is another one that's, uh, that's a good medication to take in addition to those. But inhaled steroids are really important. Now, if you have an, a, 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 um, an acute asthma exacerbation, so you're actively wheezing, your physician might put you on uh, an, a steroid by mouth for a short period of time. Uh, Tim mentioned some of the long-term effects of steroids, uh, which can you know, be a long laundry list of things that they might cause. He mentioned cataracts. Certainly, they'll thin your bones over the long period of time. Inhaled steroids tend to be safer with most of those side effects because you're only delivering that steroid to the lungs themselves. And in higher doses, you can, you know, you can absorb some of that, but certainly it's a whole lot safer than taking uh, something by mouth. Now, you do need that, you know, for short courses uh, maybe, but uh, but that's important to to remember about the 
the steroids as a whole that we've we've developed ways to deliver them right to the lung tissue so that it's not having those systemic side effects. And and sticking with the delivery to the lung tissue, one of the ways uh, that we want to emphasize is making sure that we're doing it correctly. Um, and a lot of times people that have asthma that already have been prescribed inhalers can see a huge benefit if they'll just take a second and slow down and get back to their correct technique again. Um, especially with small children, it's hard to time the actuation of the inhaler with the child taking the breath in. And so um, we would advocate always that small children and even adults use a spacer device, which helps to keep the medicine from escaping into the um, environment or the atmosphere around you and not actually making it in the lungs. And um, the other side of it is to make sure that um, you're actually holding your breath for a good five to 10 seconds after you take the uh, actuation of the inhaler so that you can get the full effect of the medicine. Yeah. And it's, it's a great idea. If you, if somebody at, at your doctor's office, they'll actually sometimes have uh, samples that you can use right then and there, and then you can learn the, the technique. Because there is a technique with, with taking those. Uh, or when you pick it up from your pharmacist, ask them, say, you know what, this is my first time. I don't really know what I'm doing with this. Can you show me how to do it? And they'll, they'll be glad to help you out. Let's go to Bob in Tupelo. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, gentlemen. I'm glad to have stumbled across this conversation. Uh, I'm hoping you can possibly answer a question I've had for a while which is whether there's any research about uh, the childhood onset of asthma between nose breathers and mouth breathers. The, the reason being, I was raised in a household where my father was a heavy smoker. Uh, I grew up in Pennsylvania. We heated with wood um, in the wintertime. We lived out in the middle of nowhere, so we and usually used our, our windows were quite often open. We didn't have uh, air conditioning in the house. So we had you know, ragweed and all that, you know, a lot of pollens and such in the house and in the environment. And I was just curious that my brother and I were raised in the same environment, and yet I didn't develop asthma, and yet he did. And the only thing that I, the only big difference between us is that he was always a, a real mouth breather, and I was always a real nose breather. And I'm just curious to know whether there's any linkage there, if there's any, ever, ever been any research along those lines. Yeah, I'm not I'm not aware of any research that's looked at that. Now, there are some things that can go along with mouth breathing and nose breathing, you know, like uh, sleep apnea. Um, uh, there's been some studies looking at that, but um, I'm not aware that that has any causal effect from asthma. It is interesting within families, you know, one person might get it and one uh, might not. And it probably has more to do with how their immune system is set up. You know, not everybody, even within the same family, has the same uh, immune system. We do know that exposures to different things can affect allergies and asthma. And since you're from Pennsylvania, that sort of uh, brought up a study that uh, that uh, was fairly recent that they looked at um, Amish communities uh, and and matched them against rural. Uh, families in Pennsylvania, and what they found is uh, exposure to uh, a farm environment, particularly with a barn close by that were in the Amish families, uh, a lot of things that they were exposed to on a day-to-day basis didn't have anything to do with cleanliness differences, Uh, but those families that were exposed to farm animals early actually had less allergies as a child and an adult and less asthma. So there has to be something, you know, it, we used to think avoid all those things at all costs, but now what we're finding is that the, the immune system has to be trained in different ways 
Uh, and, uh, you know, we've talked about uh, peanut butter is another one. Peanut allergies and exposure to that is sort of counterintuitive now. So there are a lot of things that sets up the immune system, uh, you know, as you grow up. And uh, even then, though, you can have differences within families. So I'll, I'll take a look at that, Bob. We'll have to um, uh, to research that further. But I'm not aware of any mouth breathing versus nose breathing that uh, that has uh, those those effects. But we appreciate your call. I appreciate it as well. Thank you. So, you know, one other thing that we should bring up, particularly for kids, because, uh, you know, you do want them to have those medications. We talked about the rescue inhaler like albuterol. Uh, if they don't have it with them, then you can't use it. So having a, a you know, sometimes it even helps if they have an extra one at rescue inhaler that's with them uh, at all times or available at school, at sporting events. Uh, you know, I can't, my, my son has a little bit of bronchospasm or, or a little bit of uh, asthma type symptoms from time to time. I can't tell you how many times he's had it. And I'm like, where's your inhaler? Well, I left it at home. Well, we can't use it, you know, if we're not with us. And then having a, a plan, any kind of chronic disease like asthma, you really need to have a plan in place for what's going on and you know we've we've partnered with schools pediatricians have partnered with schools in in different areas and across the state to come up with an asthma action plan this is sort of a stoplight plan so if if things are going good that's the green zone if things are a little bit worse that's the yellow zone just like a stoplight and if they're bad we have a red zone and then there's within those three zones there's some things that you need to do so this spells it out this is what our plan is and if we develop certain symptoms uh, you'll know what to do wherever you are, whether that's at school or at home or away. Maybe you're staying at somebody else's house. And that prevents a lot of ER visits. It prevents a lot of, you know, exacerbations about things. And it helps keep your inhalers straight, especially if you have more than one. It's easier to look on the page and find your symptoms and the color of the stoplight that you're supposed to be at and figure out, hey, which one of these medicines do I need to take right now when I'm having symptoms? Um, that can be a point of confusion for people. So, Yeah, color coding can be a, a good uh, thing to, you know, sometimes I'll have uh, families sort of color code those inhalers to say, okay, this is the rescue one, this is a chronic one. Well, that's all the time that we have for today. We want to thank everybody who called in and thank my special guest, Dr. Jonathan Smith, for uh, being with us this morning. Southern Remedy Kids and Teens is a production of Mississippi Public Radio and is funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and generous support from the members of the Foundation for Public Broadcasting in Mississippi. Today's show was engineered by Jay White, and our call screener was Jay White doing double duty today. I'm Dr. Jimmy, and you can join us next Thursday for Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. And stay tuned for NPR's Here and Now coming up next on MPB Think Radio. 